Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. use scare quotes and air quotes here. If you are a traditional family, then the rules probably would work for you. 
uh, your state, probably the default plan that it assumes that you would have made because you failed to make a plan will probably work for you. But if, if you're anybody else and your situation is a little bit different, you say, well, actually, no, I want my sister to step in because uh, she's an accountant or like, uh, I just know that this person wouldn't want to do that. They're, they would not be equipped to do that. They don't have the resources to do that. Maybe they don't have the time to do that. Uh, and so that's where you can weigh your actual situation and make the plan. And it's important for everyone, but it's just like we underscore it. We double underline it for LGBTQ plus people. Welcome to everyone's talking money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Our money system in this country is outdated, antiquated, and by far does not meet the needs of LGBTQ plus individuals and families. I think that's probably a bit of an understatement. You know, there has been some progress with federal legislation, but to be honest, a lot of work still needs to be done. When it comes to estate planning and making sure that your assets get passed to who you want, things can get even more complicated if you're in the LGBTQ plus community. Different states have different laws and figuring it all out is so hard. That's why I called in Mitch Mitchell, Associate Counsel of Estate Planning at Trust and Will. This episode is by no means sponsored by Trust and Will. However, I am personally just a huge fan of them for making estate planning both accessible and affordable for everyone. So in this episode, you're going to learn what makes estate planning for LGBTQ plus individuals so challenging, what are the essential estate planning documents you need, how much estate planning costs, and how to make it a bit more affordable, how do you handle estate planning if you have kids or adopting or using a surrogate? And we even talk about why the home buying process can be tricky for LGBTQ plus couples and individuals. So this episode is jam packed with a lot of great information. I can't wait to share it with you. All right, let's hear from Mitch. You know, it's unfortunate, but the default money system that we have, it really caters to heterosexual individuals and families. While we know that LGBTQ plus individuals, families, they, they need to be careful or even creative when they're thinking about estate planning. We also know that through history, LGBTQ plus couples, they've had to fight to get some sort of equality even around estate planning. And you know, some progress has made, but obviously we still have quite a ways to go. And we're going to get into a lot of that, but just to kind of start off, you know, I was wondering if you could tell us what makes estate planning for LGBTQ plus couples, individuals, what makes it so challenging? Well, I would say the number one thing that makes it challenging is our laws were created with an assumption that doesn't apply uh, to a lot of folks. And that's the case even for heterosexual um, couples, people who have coupled up and, um, you know, maybe their family dynamics are not that nuclear family that is assumed a lot of times. And so, that's exacerbated when you do when you're dealing with LGBTQ plus folks um, because their family dynamics are different, or you know, and maybe even um, you know, 
there, there is some assumption under current law that, you know, people will get divorced and right. uh, that there will be stepchildren um, and that, you know, uh, stuff like that, where some of the inbuilt, inbuilt rules have been modified over time. Uh, the problem that LGBTQ plus folks encounter is that those rules, those laws have not changed with the times and with the recognition, say, of same-sex mar- same sex marriage at the federal level. Um, state law has, in some states, stayed more or less the same. And uh, even though you do have the federal recognition that made gay marriage the law of the land, um, we haven't gone back. States, a lot of them, have not gone back and modified all of their laws um, to be more accommodating. And, um, you know, digging a little bit deeper on that, what it really means is things like, you know, um, uh, in the context of a divorce, um, the non-birth parent, what sort of rights do they have? That can be an open question if the non-birth parent has not legally adopted their child. Um, And so, you know, that's where it's important, not just to, you know, with trust and will, we're, we're passionate about making this accessible. And um, that includes making estate planning something that is the suits, the needs of LGBTQ plus people. Um, But that's not nearly enough. There are other legal factors to consider. And that includes things like, well, if I'm not the birth parent, and I'm not listed on that child's birth certificate, what does that mean for me? Does that mean that I have to legally adopt my child for my state to recognize that I have rights as a parent? Um, So if something were to happen to the birth parent, you know, who am I to that child under the law? So why, why haven't these state laws been updated? Is it, does it just come back to politics always, or is there another explanation? Um, certainly politics plays a role and, um, you know, we've seen, especially in the last few years that, um, things have in, in some instances been hostile. Um, you know, so we've gone the other direction. Um, you know, a a lot of States with things like, um, making it, you know, illegal for there to be gender affirming care for, um, for children, under the age of 18, um, you know, we've gone, we've kind of, um, some legislatures have gone the other direction. Um, and, you know, so there's politics at play. Yes. Uh, but some of it also is just, um, estate planning is slow to change and it is based on really old rules. And when it's based on really old rules, you have an upheld battle of convincing, policymakers, legislators, that there's a problem, that it needs to be changed and say, well, it works just fine because as far as they can (laughs) see, it does. So that's not necessarily a political thing. It's just inertia of people. So is it just not like a a priority then, I guess, if, 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 if legislative is just like, okay, what, what we had works. So let's just kind of keep that. Is it not, you know, at the, at the top of the to-do list? Yeah, well, yes. And then um, the yes to the 
it's not at the top of the to-do list. And I would also say that because of a politically challenging environment, like just generally, it's hard for even good, good intentioned, maybe even um, like not controversial legislation, new policy to make it through. Um, because if you have all of these very big spirited debates around, say, um, you know, trans youth, um, you you have all these other spirited debates that get people really engaged. It that noise kind of filters out some of these other things that are important. Like I think it's important to have laws that represent a you know, the full range of American families. And I think most people would agree with that. Um, But it's challenging for that type of signal to get through the noise, even if your state's politics generally don't interfere with that particular piece of legislation. It might just be, gosh, you know, so I'm in Texas and the, the legislative session just wrapped. And there are all kinds of laws that really are not political lightning rods that didn't make it through because there were thousands of pieces of legislation that needed to go through in the course of a couple months. And so <laughs> right. it's by, it's by design too. Uh, you know, at least in Texas, it is who say we have a short legislative session only meets every two years. And that means that your priorities are limited. You're only going to be able to pass so many laws. And the assumption is that like, you know, change needs to be slow. It needs to be hammered out in the state capital and it might need more than one go for it to be good enough to pass. So, um, you know, it's politics, but at one level, but it's politics at a higher level, which is to say it's hard for stuff to get through sometimes, even if it's uncontroversial, people would like it. You talk to the, your state citizens and they'd say, gosh, I mean, that sounds like something we should do. <laughs> Right. It's almost like we got to burn the whole system down and start over again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a a whole other, you know, multi-part conversation, right? (laughs) (laughs) So we talked about, we talked about, uh, you know, if you're LGBTQ plus and you have a child and the whole, you know, sort of adoption, the rights around that. But I was wondering if you could zoom out a little bit. What's at risk if you're LGBTQ plus couple or individual and you don't do proper estate planning. What are the risks there? Well, so coming back and um, kind of zooming back in on what I talked about, about the default rules. Um, everybody has the chance to make a plan, you know, so um, I'm married, I have kids and um, I can make a plan that, represents my wishes. So, um, my wishes are pretty simple and are like what about what you would expect and just assume, um, based upon what I told you, I, if I were to die, I'd want everything to go to my wife and I'd want her to be in charge of administering my estate. I'd also want her to make end of life decisions for me. If I'm unable to do that, um, if we both were to die in a common accident, then I would want all of my property to go to my kids in equal shares, but in a trust for them. That last part, like I actually have to make a plan. I actually have to put that in writing for that to be given legal effect. And that is 
something that is even more important for an LGBTQ plus person because the assumptions about, say, family that have priority to step in and make those decisions, those are, you know, those are old laws that say like, okay, if you're not married, then your parents would make decisions for Mm, you. Uh, And then on down, you know, your, um, your ancestors from your parents. And that's kind of hard to square with like, maybe you moved away uh, and maybe you don't have a good relationship with your family. And that's where it's important because you get to, you can choose anyone. You can choose anyone as far as who gets your property. You can choose anyone as far as, um, you know, who is in charge of administering your affairs or who is in charge of making medical decisions for you. So don't assume that those default rules are going to be okay for you. Nobody should assume that, but like sometimes it does work out. If you are, uh, I'm going to use scare quotes and air quotes here. If you are a traditional (laughs) family, then the rules probably would work for you. Uh, Your state, probably the default plan that it assumes that you would have made because you failed to make a plan would probably work for you. But if, if you're anybody else, and your situation is a little bit different. You say, well, actually, no, I want my sister to step in because uh, she's an accountant or like, uh, I just know that this person wouldn't want to do that. They're, they would not be equipped to do that. They don't have the resources to do that. Maybe they don't have the time to do that. Uh, and so that's where you can weigh your actual situation and make the plan. And it's important for everyone, but it's just like, we underscore it, we double underline it for LGBTQ plus people. So let's let's talk a little bit about estate planning in general. I've done a bunch of episodes on this, but I still find it's a topic that for a lot of people, they can't quite get their head around. You know, everybody's heard of a will. I think there's still um, a little bit of I don't know, you know, not sure. Do I need a will? Do I not need a will? And then when we get to trust or anything more complicated, I think that feels like a foreign language to most people. And and also something that feels like it's only accessible to someone if you're if you're wealthy and you have a lot of money. Like why would I possibly need it if I'm just, you know, a normal person out here living? So I was wondering if you could, you know, demystify or or you know, shed some light a little bit on just wills and trusts in general, how they work and and who might need them? Yeah, I, I talk about this almost every day, and I never get tired talking about it. <laughs> All right. Um, so everybody should have a will. And um, that's point one, is if you don't have one, you need to get one. And the reason for that is, again, you get to say who is in charge, and you get to say who gets your stuff. Um, if you don't do that, it might work out okay, um, but this is your, it's a huge missed opportunity for you and your loved ones that you leave behind. And I think intuitively, most people understand what a will is and what it does. It's a document that when I die says what happens to my stuff. Most people understand that. Um, going into what is under that broader umbrella of estate planning. So we include things like a trust, which I'll describe in just a minute. And we include things like a financial power of attorney, a medical power of attorney, uh, an advanced healthcare directive or healthcare proxy. And I want to describe all those documents so that your listeners will know 
what the full suite of estate planning documents are available to them. There are other ones that I won't go into, but these are ones that are part of really any plan that everybody should have. Um, so a trust. A trust is like a will says what happens to my property and who gets my, uh, you know, what happens to my property and who's in charge. It's a useful tool because it can avoid the probate process. Every will has to go through probate. So when I die, the will is a, submitted to the probate court. So typically the person I've named as executor or personal representative will have my original will and they'll file it with the court and they say, judge, uh, Mitch named me as executor. I'm asking, this is his original will. I'm asking to have it probated. And will you, you, the court appoint me as executor? Cause I've nominated them, but they're not that person until the court signs an order saying that person has that mm. authority. Quick question. Who, how do you, um, how do you know who to pick as your executor? Um, usually it, it's, um, like close family. Uh, and then if you don't have close family, then trusted friend, um, or, you know, if, you know, if you've had a long time financial advisor or accountant, uh, you those are people who, if you have a friendship outside of that role, uh, you can select those people. You can choose anyone. Uh, and you can also okay. choose a company to do that. They'll, of course, charge money to do it. And your executor typically is um, able to be compensated, um, subject to court approval. But most of the time, if it's your family member, like my wife serving as executor, is not going to charge an executor's fee, uh, I don't think, because she's going to get my property anyway. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> um, but it can be anyone. And most often people choose spouse first, adult children next, other trusted family members or, um, you know, longtime friends. Uh, and so, okay. yeah, uh, a trust, on the other hand, like a will, but the most common version of a trust, because there are all kinds of different trust, the most common is a revocable living trust. And that's a trust that I set up while I'm alive. That's the living part. Uh, and revocable means that I can change it, amend it, or revoke it uh, while I'm alive. And a will also is a revo revocable document. I can change it, revoke it. Of course, I can't change it or revoke it once I'm dead. It becomes irrevocable <laughs> at that point. But um, the trust, I set it up during, during my lifetime, and I transfer all of my property to it. And so when I die, there's nothing in my name which means that there's nothing to go through probate because probate is the process of transferring property in my name into the name of my beneficiaries when I die. Um, so all probate property is stuff in Mitch's name when he died. And probate is a process of one, proving the will, uh, two, you know, appointing that executor, and three, transferring the property to my named beneficiaries after all the expenses and debts uh, of my estate have been paid. Um, and then, so the trust it is, it's key feature really is probate avoidance. It also enables for things like minor children, they can't inherit property directly. And so it avoids this issue where if property was designated to go to my kids, I have three minor children, uh, they can't inherit directly. So there's a potential that there'd have to be a guardianship 
for them to mm, hold that property right, okay. and the guardian would manage it until they reach the age of majority in my state. Um, but if instead I leave that property to them in trust, I get to name the trustee in advance. So I'm trustee of my trust while I'm alive. When I'm incapacitated or I die, I've named successor trustees who can step in and manage the trust. And if my children are the beneficiaries, the trustee can, you know, basically be the parent, uh, you know, of the pocketbook at that point. So paying for their education, paying for healthcare, paying for general maintenance life stuff. Uh, and then when they reach a certain age, I can say to my trustee, distribute it outright to them. They don't need you to manage this for them anymore. They, it's their money. Um, so that's the trust. And then I'll just quickly go through the other documents I mentioned. Um, a healthcare power of attorney is where I name an agent, a person that I trust to make healthcare decisions for me when I'm incapacitated. So I'm in an accident or I'm under anesthesia and the doctor doesn't know what to do, that agent has a piece of paper that says, um, you know, I can make decisions for Mitch. He's, you know, he named me to do this uh, when he couldn't speak for himself. And, you know, a lot of times you might not need that because you have a spouse or somebody who's like right there and the doctor knows that they can consult that person. But it's always good to have that because I can name backups too. Um, and then a financial power of attorney is the same thing, but it's for everything else, everything except for healthcare. If I'm incapacitated, this person can access my financial accounts. They can pay bills for me. They can open accounts for me. Um, a healthcare directive also known as a living will. That's where I can say what I want my end of life care to look like. Do I want, you know, them to intervene to try to save my life? Do I want artificial nutrition or hydration? Do I want them to just keep me comfortable? Things like that. And then a HIPAA authorization is, I think, something that a lot of people are familiar with, but that's where I am telling my healthcare providers, these people can have access to my medical records and they can also discuss treatment history with you. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. 
That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. Do we all need the full menu of options? <laughs> Great question. Um, I would say everybody needs the will and what I'll call all of the incapacity planning documents. So everybody needs a will, all incapacity planning documents that includes power of attorney for both finances and healthcare, advanced directive, HIPAA authorization. Okay. So the trust, when does the trust come in? Is that um, mainly if we have more assets or is that when we have kids or when does that piece come in? Um, So the trust is, um, typically you will see it for people who have more assets or have a need for more complexity. I call the will the workhorse of the estate planning world since everybody needs it. And when you have a trust, you still will have a will sort of as a backup. It's called a pour over will. 
So if I didn't fully fund my trust, I didn't put all of my property into it, then the will just says anything that was in my name when I died, probate that, but just put it into the trust because I have a I have a full plan. I just forgot to incorporate that asset into my plan. Um, but a trust you will see used in certain states. Um, California is a great example where most everyone who has an estate plan has a revocable living trust plan because probate in California is notoriously difficult and notoriously expensive. <laughs> and so it's best. Not avoided. shocking. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm in Texas. We have a relatively straightforward, if you die with a will uh, and it calls for something called independent administration, it's relatively quick, relatively painless. Nobody wants to go through it, but it's not the worst thing in the world. So People don't just create trusts here in Texas to avoid probate. They create trusts maybe because they have more assets, uh, maybe because it's not appropriate for whatever reason for their beneficiaries to get stuff outright, not right away. So my example of minor children, um, maybe I have assets in more than one state. So maybe I have a, a, a family property in Colorado and I live in Texas. So I have a house here and I have a property there. Well, guess what? Everywhere you own property, there's a potential I have to do probate there. So um, people use trust to put property that's owned in multiple states in there, and you can avoid probate, having to do probate in both Texas and California. So we talked about the, we're using our air quotes again, we talked about the quote unquote traditional couples and estate planning. But I'm wondering if, you know, how things change if, we have, you know, either same-sex marriage, domestic partnership, or civil union. How does estate planning change in those different situations? Yeah, so that that's a tough one because that's one where we don't have common agreement on terminology. Um, so marriage means marriage. I mean, that's just you know because of the change in the law of the land. Um, if I am married to someone, regardless of our genders, then it's recognized that there's a marital relationship. And so what that means is, um, you know, like in community property states like Texas or California, there is a community estate where we each have an undivided one half interest in the property that's acquired during marriage. And so that means something both in the death and divorce context. Uh, and that's really like why those relationships matter at the legal level is what happens when we divorce or die. That's the termination of the marriage with things like um, civil unions, um, you know, domestic partnerships. It's harder to say because not every state uses that terminology or even recognizes it because it's not required to. Um, and mm, so that's okay. where it's especially important to have a written plan and to have met maybe with an estate planning lawyer who deals specifically with planning for LGBTQ plus individuals, because there are ways to be creative about this. I hate that it's an area where you have to be creative, but that's just the reality for some folks. And, you know, you can create all kinds of agreements for, well, what happens to our property when this thing happens to our relationship? They may not be, you know, uh, like, fully enforceable in your courts. So in the context mm. of like um, 
the probate court, it might not be a binding agreement, but it would be a binding agreement for certain things uh, and for certain events. Uh, and, you know, it's it's like, you know, it's a contract, basically. You can contract your the what happens to your property, this relationship. Um, but it's a little bit different, again, and you may have to be creative based upon your relationship status. So we talked about, I'm really interested in this, in the, the guardianship and, you know, same-sex marriages uh, in terms of, you know, the adoption and, and or not adoption and the rights and not rights. It's, I think it's really interesting and I can see how it's very, very complex and uh, obviously how it, it, you know, having an estate planning attorney in there is probably exceedingly helpful because not only do you know the state laws, but you can come up with you know the, the creative ways to to solve these issues and problems. Tell me about about you know maybe what the like sticky areas are around you know children and same sex marriages and uh, guardianship and and what we need to know about that. Um, I would say the main thing is, uh, and and this does kind of come up a little bit with, um you know, non LGBTQ plus folks too. Um, so with a donor situation, you know, a genetic material donor, um, or surrogacy, these are things where you're going to have to think about it in advance. Like, you know, for hetero couples where, you know, there's a baby, like the law really provides for our assumptions to be met in some way. Um, I'm the father of my children, never in doubt. Um, you know, my wife is the mother of my children, never in doubt. She's on the birth certificate. It was never going to be an issue. Um, but, you know, for surrogacy stuff, um, sorry, for, for surrogacy um, scenarios, uh, for, you know, when any genetic material is being donated in any way, that's where it's important for you to think in advance. Don't assume, think in advance, probably get some advice from an attorney experienced in these areas. And then I would say like the, the gold standard for making sure that I, um, have, you know, as an LGBTQ plus person and a couple, we just had this child, but I have nowhere to be listed on the child's birth certificate uh, because like I, I wasn't the birth parent um, and you know, I'm not presumptively the father or mother of that child. And that's where maybe you know, going to a family lawyer and going through the formal adoption process is going to be the appropriate thing for you, but that might not be. And so it's just where if you're facing that, you know, a surrogacy or genetic materials donated in any way, how do you want that to be handled? Um, talk about that with your partner first and then consult with a professional, consult with an attorney who knows about these things and figure out, do we need to do an agreement of some kind? Do we need to go to, to court and uh, do formal adoption proceedings? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talking about money is hard. You know this already. All over the world, people are taught to never talk about money, politics, sex, or religion in polite company. On 50 Fires, a podcast about money and meeting from executive producers Chip and Joanna Gaines, host and financial conversationalist Carl Richards will remove money from that list by having frank, funny, and often difficult conversations about money, the kind we're all told not to have with guests from all walks of life. In each episode, Carl will invite a new guest to answer the question, what does money mean to you? Their answers will reveal much more than their attitudes about money, spanning revelations about identity, community, faith, family, and the true meaning of wealth. Tune in to hear deep conversations about money and the meaning it holds in our lives. You can find 50 Fires on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainen, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's just as you're talking, it just feels like, you know, outright discrimination towards, you know, any any type of family that is different than the quote unquote traditional family. And it, it just feels like another burden that you have to bear, it, you know, to think about all of these things and to think about Gosh, these complexities when you're just trying to, you know, live your life and, and have a family. Yeah, it it really is an an unfair burden, I would say. And I, I, you know, I can only just like point to my personal situation to empathize and think like I never had to think about these things, but I know folks who have, and it's like it's invasive to, uh, you know, yeah. while you're on on parental leave to think, okay, well, I've got to call a lawyer and I've got to pay thousands of dollars for them to, you know, do something which is pretty routine. Um, but like, it's not guaranteed, you know, like, because it's always a, it's a court proceeding. And so you expect for it to go one way, like, you know, why wouldn't you let me adopt the child who like, actually is my child. It's just not the law doesn't see it that way. But, you know, like any adoption proceeding, the interests of the child are at the forefront, not of like the wishes of the parent necessarily. And those often overlap, but it's kind of in the hands of your state, an individual caseworker. Um, And so like, I I don't want to scaremonger here, but it's just it is unfair. The expense is unfair. The uncertainty is unfair. The fact that you have like you have this uncompensated time and effort that you have to expend the emotional labor of going through it, 
it's not fair. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the cost, because I know the the reality is a lot of people don't do estate planning, even when they need estate planning, because it is expensive. Or if they talk to an attorney and they hear couples, you know, a couple of thousands of dollars, particularly if if they're having a child, they're, you know, putting their money towards towards that and and not wanting to put it towards all of these documents that that often feel scary too. A lot of things we're talking about I, I know could bring a lot of anxiety on on people. Tell me a little bit about like what's the expectation of of costs if we want to set up a will, or we want to set up a trust, or you know, we need we need some uh, attorney assistance in, in figuring this out. So, going the traditional route of using an attorney because that's historically how people have obtained these documents. Um, you know, if you go that route today in 2023, a simple estate plan, you know, will based estate plan, probably several hundred dollars. Um, a, it could be in the thousands though, uh, depending upon your, your Metro area. And it's always dependent upon what does a lawyer charge for their time in your area. So if you're in a big city on the West coast or the East coast, that's going to be hundreds of dollars an hour for an attorney who does (laughs) these things. And like, also it's the same thing in Texas where I am. If you're in Dallas, Houston, uh, the major metro areas, it's going to be hundreds of dollars an hour for a lawyer to give you their time um, or, you know, not giving you time. You're paying for their time. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's easily for a couple a thousand dollars for a simple will-based plan uh, for a trust-based plan, which involves all of the documents. So, you know, will the incapacity planning documents plus the trust. Uh, you're looking at thousands of dollars, you know, $2,000, $3,000 or more. And, um, you know, so that's not accessible for a lot of people. And it's an, it's something that they don't want to think about too. And the number one mistake people make in this area is just not doing it. And I think that is because they don't want to think about it. It's scary it's obtuse and they assume it's going to be expensive. And a lot of times they're going to be right about all of those things. Uh, But that's where with trust and will we've, it's our mission to make this more accessible. And we do that in a couple of ways. One is educating. One is having great content on our website that anybody can access for free. Another is talking with folks like you, Shanna, And, um, you know, we want more people to know what are the documents they need? How do they get them? Um, Should they use an attorney or not? That's a choice they can make. They don't have to use an attorney. That's why services like trust and will exist. And, you know, for an individual, you can get a will-based plan for $159. For an individual, you can get a trust-based plan for $599. That's in any market, basically that's going to be less expensive than using an attorney. Uh, We're not a law firm. So, you know, you don't get legal advice unless you consult with one of our partner attorneys. So that, you know, some people do need to consult an attorney. And that's where maybe the traditional route of calling up a lawyer 
they're not just drafting documents for you, hopefully. They're hopefully they're earning their keep by giving you actionable advice. And where you ask them questions and say, well, I don't know what to do here. What should I do here? That's what an attorney's for. Hopefully. I like that word, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, Mitch, um, you know, looking at kind of money in general for LGBTQ plus couples, individuals, there's even some challenges when it comes to things like home ownership. And I know the home buying process is another area of anxiety and stress and complication for people. And then we layer on this additional, um, you know, I don't don't want to use the complication, but just an additional thing we have to think about. Um, I was wondering if you could just talk to us a few minutes about like the home buying process and how do we title homes? How do we, how do we think about that if we're in, you know, LGBTQ plus Mm -hmm. relationships? This is, a, this is an area where um, a lot of people have assumptions about how it goes uh, and like how assets are titled generally. And um, so in some states, you can have joint tenancy with right of survivorship. So that's like the, I think the easiest to conceive of and easiest for people to enter into without thinking about where if I brought buy property with somebody and I die, the other owner is going to get it. A lot of people assume that's what happens, but it doesn't quite happen like that in a lot of states. And um, like Texas is a good example where married people will buy property, but we don't create joint tenancy with right of survivorship automatically. So when I die, my interest in the house has to go through probate to Mm, go to my heirs or to go to my beneficiaries uh, named in my will. And so circling back to, um, you know, an LGBTQ plus couple, that's where, again, talking with your partner and thinking about it in advance, well, what do you want to happen here? What do you want it to look like? And really anybody buying property should have that conversation, but I know it doesn't happen because I've bought property and I'm a lawyer and I haven't had that conversation. (laughs) I don't think about it. I know what happens. Uh, Does my wife know what happens? Probably not because I've talked with her about it, but um, it's, it's good to have that conversation and say, we're buying this together. What happens if something were to happen to us? One reason you don't have the conversation is again, death is morbid. People don't want to think about it. But you want to ask, what do you want to happen? And then to find out what actually would happen. So when they're buying property together, an LGBTQ plus couple, um, maybe your state does recognize joint tenancy with rights of survivorship. If so, great. Just make sure that the deed, how you're taking title, um, you know, talk with the title company when you're about to close, not like the day of closing, but when they're when the attorney working for them is preparing the documents say what does this look like can i see the draft deed here and figure out is that joint tenancy with right of survivorship if it is and that might be the easiest way if that's what you want to happen for the, the surviving partner to get the property mm, i like this so uh, everything that we've talked about today it's it's it's, it's been about unfortunately thinking ahead and um 
you know, asking questions and, you know, even getting comfortable, the shows everyone's talking money, even getting comfortable talking about these subjects around money that are that are tricky. So if they are LGBTQ plus couple or individual, what do you want them to take away from our conversation? Um, number one thing is everybody should have a plan. So if you don't have one, right now is the time um, to, to make a plan. And, you know, what we've been talking about, these concepts are important for anybody, regardless um, of sexual orientation, um, you know, regardless of uh, their family situation. Because when you die, everybody has somebody. Um, I know for, from experience, when I was in private practice, some people, you know, outlived all their family. They outlived all their close friends. And it's like, it can be a sad situation, but it doesn't have to be. Um, and, but it's just a variant of, it's important for you to have a plan because sometimes like the default rules aren't even going to help the people you leave behind. They're going to leave a lot of uncertainty. And so what should be a time of people having the space to grieve the loss of somebody who is very important to them is one that's mired in unnecessary uncertainty. So it's a gift. Um, it, it takes time. It takes money. Um, it's not fun to think about, but the plan that you make now is a gift for your future self and your loved ones that you leave behind. File this episode under things you need to know. <laughs> I'll say it again. There's so much great advice that Mitch shared that honestly, you would need to pay a pretty penny if you hired an attorney. I think you can use this episode as a roadmap for all your estate planning journey. And hopefully it makes the complications of planning as an LGBTQ plus individual or couple a little less stressful and a lot more approachable. If you want to connect with Mitch, you can head to trustandwill.com to learn more about everything, how to set up all these documents, everything that we discussed today. Click on the learn section in their menu. You can find a ton of great information about anything you want to learn about estate planning. You can head to the show notes to all the links that we mentioned in this episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do us the highest favor. Head on over to whatever your app you're listening to right now and leave us some stars, leave us a rating and review. It really helps this show grow and I appreciate you being a listener. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. <music>